just consider just for a moment the everyday happenings, you know, going to work and doing this and doing that and jobs around the house and, and cleaning the house and uh, mowing the lawn and all those kind of things. Okay, we, we could be sitting around and loafing around and, but or we could be out there doing things of worth, couldn't we? And so it is, the Bible is a Bible of worth. Right from the very beginning, right through to the very end, it's a Bible of worth. It's a book of worth. The word Bible means book, by the way. And, uh, and we need to understand that God has given us something of indescribable worth. We can't describe the fullness of the worth of Christ. And so we have this word called worship. And it's worth him. It's, it's his worth. That's what the word worship means. It's, it's attributing worth to something. That's what worship is. And, uh, and I've got... Uh, three Bible verses that I want to uh, share with you and then we're going to go into what we probably choked on some years ago and it's goal setting. How many of you choked on that years ago? I, I certainly did. Every time we went to a conference we're talking about goal setting, goal setting, goal setting, goal setting, goal setting. Well, I've, I've, uh, yesterday as I sat there for a couple of hours, the whole business began to take worth upon itself. But when you take it out of the context that God puts these things in, that's why we choke on them. That's why we can't see any worth in them. But I began to see a new worth in these things. So I just want to... Um, Start off with a couple of Japanese proverbs. Have a Japanese proverbs? Here's a Japanese proverbs. He who hunts two hares leaves one and loses the other. Vision without action is a daydream. Action without vision is a nightmare. Now the Bible, it also speaks quite a bit about goals. And, and I began to see more of that in the scriptures yesterday. Starting at Psalm 37 verse 4, it says, Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Proverbs 21 verse 5 says, um, The plans... Of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. And then Psalm 20, verse 4 says, May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. So I, I see that God is interested in planning. So I want to press ahead today. Let's press forward through goals and just see what God might have here for us. A person without goals in his life is like a captain whose ship is without a rudder. Yes, he will eventually end up 
at a destination somewhere, probably he will find his destination at the bottom of the sea. Without goals, life can be boring due to the lack of a challenge. Properly employed, sensible goals are, set, are steps to action. Goals may be long or goals may be short. Goals help a person know where he is going and how he is going to get there. Today we hear a lot of, it's my dream. You hear about that? You hear, it's a lot of that in the younger generation. It's my dream, as if it's, uh, you know, if, if something's definite that's going to happen. It's my dream. Well, but goals themselves are more tangible than a dream. They are scientific in the sense that they can be tested. Dreams are foggy thoughts in sleep, but a goal can be acted upon. And it is more than wishful thinking. A goal is a clear statement of this is what I am going to do. For the Christian, goals are not fanciful and foggy. They are clear declarations of faith. Faith, first of all, that it is a godly thing to do. Faith that it is God's will for me to do. Maybe it's God's will for somebody else to do, but is it God's will for me to do? It's faith that, yes, I believe this is God's will for me to do. Faith in the strength that God gives me that I can achieve it. There is a connection between the practical and spiritual when considering goals. There are some good reasons for setting goals in life. Firstly, it is helpful to not let faulty preaching from the church or from the world separate the practical from the spiritual. The world so professionalises goals that it is all about fulfilling my dreams and rarely considers a benefit to others. The world de deifies man's strength and abilities when it says, you can be whatever you want to. The church can so spiritualise goals to the point where we can do literally anything. Maybe I would like to be a brain surgeon. Anyone got a headache? Uh, maybe I would like to be an astronaut. Now, come on, please don't laugh. You'll injure my self-esteem. That's what it's all about, isn't it? But you see, all these things are good. There are brain surgeons who can do that, and there are astronauts who can do that stuff. But is it a slight upon me because I can't do those things? Right, so it, it is, is it God's will for me to be a brain surgeon? As we have seen, the Bible says goal setting is a good thing when done in the wisdom of God. And God is spirit and is worshipped in spirit. But he came into this world and lived in a physical body. The practical is God's idea. So we set goals with that in mind.
To properly set godly goals, we must understand that the numerous smaller temporal goals we have in life, such as saving to buy a house, or saving to uh, or buy a car, or saving to pay for the rates of that house, or to pay for the registration of that car, or some of these other things that we have. Um, Maybe saving for another college course to be qualified for a desired job. And many, many more of those very good and practical goals should come under the overarching spiritual goal of this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the, Father, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Question to self. How do my life's goals promote the greater goal of introducing people to Jesus Christ and his living eternal hope? You see, the world and to some degree the church have pulled apart from this godly setting of goals under the overarching goal that God has given to us. And so we have people going off doing their own thing and building kingdoms in this world and, they, and many of them do remarkable things, remarkable things in this world. But uh, how, do, how does all those things that I plan to do from day to day, how do they fit in with this goal that God has given us, given me, of sharing the faith that I have in Christ? Of introducing people to the one who has made this world. If we understand our practical goals as being subservient to the heavenly set goal, then goals are biblical. Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3.14 Not that Paul is earning his prize of salvation, but that he is part of God's greater rescue mission. And he is... He, all the little daytime setting of goals that he does and the long-term and the short-term things that he does is under that overarching goal of spreading the kingdom of God. And when we see goal setting in that setting, then it has worth, in my opinion. Sensible goals help keep you young in mind, and interested in life, at the same time being a help to others who watch you. Yeah, no. Don't, don't often think about that, do you? There are people watching you. Uh, you remember the, the story in the Bible where, uh, where Jesus is in the boat with the disciples and there's this big storm and, and it's threatening to sink the ship and uh, the, the disciples all panic as they as they did and then uh, Jesus calmed the storm 
And there's a very interesting little phrase in there. And it says about the little ships that were watching on. The little ships that were with him. They were in the bigger ship. But there were little ships watching every one of us. So what are your goals? Do they fit in with this overarching desire of heaven as Jesus taught us to pray that heaven, the way things are done in heaven, they might be done in this world. So sensible goals help us to keep young in mind and interested in life at the same time helping others who watch you. One of the better goals in this temporary world is to set the best hopeful and encouraging example for those who follow me, irrespective of the trials I face. There is abundant hope and anticipation in the future. The greatest hope is the eternal hope of being in heaven where all pain, where all sadness, where all bad stuff is not allowed. That hope puts a spring in my step. Does it put a spring in your step? When you work on your goals, you help to encourage others to do the same. Involvement in life brings a sense of being needed and therefore the feeling of personal value. What an encouragement it is for others when after they see life knocking you down to the ground that you get up and you start again not complaining but demonstrating a strength from God who works within us. Paul gave a particularly challenging goal to to us all to be involved in when he said, follow me for I follow Christ. Wow. What, What a challenge that is. What a claim that Paul had. And don't you think that he was putting himself out there to be tested? Oh, you say you follow Christ? Ha <laughs> ha, what about this when I saw you doing that? Paul put himself out there. Follow me, for I follow Christ. Now isn't that a great challenge for us all? Paul got knocked down many times, being harassed, He was hounded from town to town. He was whipped. He was stoned. Um, That's with rocks. (laughs) Not the other stone. He was was rocked, let's let's say that. Um, And even left outside of one of the cities to rot, thinking that he was dead. But he got up and he pressed on. There is an example in our goals for others to follow. What example do we give for others that gives them hope? We all long for somebody to give us hope, to tell us that everything is okay. We all need that. Goals help us to stop living yesterday's Groundhog Day 
If you don't know what I mean there, rent the movie Groundhog Day and you will understand. Everything happens the same. He gets up in the same in the morning, 6 o'clock or something, whatever it is, or 5 o'clock or something rather, and everything that happened at the same time the previous day happens again. And that's his life. It just keeps going on and going on. I'm not real sure what the purpose of the movie is, but, but there you go. Some people live a groundhog day where nothing changes, just stumbling from one problem to another. But goals help us to, start li- to stop living those kind of days and start living in the present and can be of great benefit to others. I'm hoping that you're picking up that the goals are not just for me or for you. The goals are also for others. My goals are for other, other people's benefits. There is a secondary blessing that returns as we see others delight in their experience. An elderly lady told me just the other day at a function right here in this hall how she was so excited to be able to get out of the house and to be able to go somewhere. And somebody brought her here. She could not have that encouragement if there were not volunteers who put it all together for her. One of the great problems that churches face is that of staying safely indoors and failing to get out amongst the crowds. It can become a selfish existence. When we set goals that are designed to benefit others, there is a reward that seems to be so precious that it cannot possibly originate in this world. Great leaders get meaning, uh, sorry, set meaningful goals. The greatest of leaders, of course, is Jesus. And to many, he failed because he was executed on the cross. But what did he refer to when he declared on the cross, it is finished? What did he mean by that? Luke 23, verse 46, Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice. Now, when I was reading that yesterday, I thought, Oh, calling out with a loud voice. Am I game to use a loud voice here? Put your fingers in your ears quickly. I mean, a loud voice. I mean, it... it, it must have been noted because it was recorded that it was a loud voice. It wasn't just a little more louder than normal voice. It wasn't a raised voice. It was a loud voice. But he cried out, it is finished. And he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. You see, the loudness of that voice The power and the passion in that voice when he crawled out loudly to the Father was a a voice of rejoicing. Let me show you why. John 19 verse 28. Knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture might be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. 
With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit by saying, it is finished. And this was in a loud voice. It is finished. Jesus was signalling to the Jewish world that there was no more need for sacrifices or temples because his work brought ultimate fulfilment to what their sacrificial system foreshadowed. Now, how did they get that message? This must be the fulfilment of the greatest spiritual goal delivered in the practicality of the human body ever. And God did it. That phrase, it is finished, is a translation of one Hebrew word. And in the original language of the Bible, this word is rich in meaning and was most certainly carefully chosen by Jesus given the context. Remember the last week we talked about the importance of context. The context of the cross that he was on. And the context of the whole business of the Jewish sacrificial system. It was also used by workers, ordinary everyday workers, to declare to the boss a day's work had been completed. It is finished. But in the context of the Jewish sacrifice system, this word is used to bring the world of monumental need and the heavenly answer to an eternal collision on the cross of Christ. A car hit a pole outside our house one night. Actually, that's happened twice, once in, in um, Gainder and once in Toowoomba. But it hit a pole outside our house one night and it was such a loud sound, it shocked me. But I got over it. It was temporary. The collision on the cross of Christ by death overtaking the giver of the originator of life was so loud it shocked the universe. It is still a shock to me as I recall the, the presentation of my need of grace that the Holy Spirit gave me. What a shock it was to realise I needed to be saved. The crucifixion of Christ shocked the universe because there, there were four uh, major things that happened at that time. The darkness... Jesus was placed on the cross at 9am and it says from midday until 3 in the afternoon darkness came over the whole land. What's the significance of that? In the Old Testament darkness is frequently a sign of judgment and recall that the ninth plague of the Exodus event, remember the Exodus from, from Egypt, was darkness over the land of Egypt for a period of three days. A darkness that actually could be felt. Could you feel dark? Can you feel darkness? This darkness could be felt. Let me read it to you. Exodus 10 verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. 
You see, it was a miraculous darkness. It was not just a normal going down of the sun, a natural law which God has put in motion. This was unnatural. It was miraculous. And God meant it to be so, so that people would know that he is God. What a mighty God we serve. After the plague of darkness came the death of the firstborn sons. You remember that record. Darkness preceded death. Likewise on the cross, darkness preceded the death of God's son. The significance of that? On the cross our sins were placed on the sinless son and God who and poured out his judgment sorry and God poured out his judgment on Christ our substitute darkness is a sign of divine judgment highlights the substitutionary nature of Christ's death on the cross Jesus endured the judgment of God upon our sin. Then there was a curtain. The curtain was torn from top to bottom. See in Matthew 27, the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. And the significance of that, well, Bible scholars believe this was the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the other place, parts of the temple. The Holy of Holies was associated with God's presence. Worshippers could never enter the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest once a year and then only with the blood of the sacrifice that he was to sprinkle on the altar. The tearing of the temple curtain signifies that the way to God has been opened for all people through Christ. Isn't that a remarkable thing? That you can come to Christ. You don't need a priest to go before you. Well, you do. His name is Jesus. And he's already gone there. And he's inviting you. Come. Come and meet my father. Come. Come. That the curtain was torn from top to bottom signifies this was the work of God, not of human effort. Then there was the earthquake. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. Earthquakes in the Middle East often uh, accompanied divine revelation or a unique act of God. When God appeared to Moses on, on Mount Sinai to give his law written on the tablets, the whole mountain shook violently. Violently, not just a little tremor. It says it shook violently. How would you be on a mountain and it's shaken violently? Warren Wearsby connects the earthquake at Jesus' death to the Sinai event, suggesting that the earthquake at Calvary signified that the demands of the law were fulfilled in Christ. And that's, that's, I think, a good way of looking at it. And then there's this other most remarkable event. The dead raised. 
The tombs were also opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And these resurrections demonstrates Jesus' victory over death. They are a foretaste of what will come at the end time. The final resurrection which Paul wrote in uh, 1 Thessalonians, the dead in Christ will rise. Thus they symbolise the hope that all believers have because of the death and resurrection of Christ. You don't need to fear death. If you walk in faith in Jesus Christ, you do not need to fear death. You do not need to even fear the hurts and the pains and all the different toe-stubbing things that happen in this world. You do do not need to fear those kind of things because Christ has already said in that great goal that God gave to the church, I will be with you until the end of the age. So, we've got the darkness, we've got the curtain, we've got the earthquake, and we've got the dead being raised at the time of the, resu- at the, time of the uh, crucifixion of Christ. Do you think that really got the attention of the universe? Do you think that got the attention of all the people? I mean, it was a shocking thing. It was a shocking thing and it, it's continuing on every day. That shock of the collision of the sin and the grace of God on the cross of Christ. It continues today. And what a great shock it is for many people to discover that they themselves need to be saved. Those uh, close by possibly were the greater shock, were the greater shocked. In Matthew 5, verse 15, verse 39, it says, And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. That whole event was an evangelistic event event in the life of that centurion oh he truly must be the son of God this word Jesus declared from the cross was the very word used by the Old Testament priests for hundreds of years they had sacrificed the blood of lambs on behalf of the offerer and taken it in to sprinkle it on the altar of the Lord. And then they would come out of the Holy of Holies and they would stand there in front of the curtain, in front of all the people, and they would declare, it is finished. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) Do you think Jesus knew about that? Do you think he wisely chose his words on the cross? It is finished. It all reflected back to the sacrifices which all the Jewish people knew all about intricately. intricately. And every time we set a goal to do something, we should be reminded of the greatest goal of all, the culmination of the heavenly declared goal found in Luke 19, Verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. 
he could rightly declare, mission accomplished. But just one thing left to do, and that is for mankind to turn away from their sin and receive the forgiveness won by Christ on the cross. As someone said to me when I was taking over a job in a church many years ago, he said, well, the ball's in your court now. And I discovered how much it was in my court. But I say to you, listener, today, Jesus has done what only he could do. And now, my friends, the ball is in your court. Take heed to what the Gospel of John says in 1 verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Father, help us to be wise that we do not approach our goals selfishly. But we remember that you have given us that great creative ability that we might praise and worship you and help others to do the same thing. Bless us today with the graciousness of your Holy Spirit. To the glory of our Saviour Jesus. Amen. Amen.